You know what my favorite superhero movie is? It's the one everyone thinks is garbage. Hellboy. No, <laughs> Hellboy, yes. Well. The only reason I was in Quest for Fire, by the way, you thought it was for my acting. The guy was looking at my forehead and he was so fascinating. I just quit smoking um, one month ago. Cigarettes? Cigars. Cigars? But you don't inhale a cigar. I was inhaling cigars. Come on. I know. You look great. You I can't, really I can't believe you. I'm, try, I'm just trying to just It's maintain. funny. You got handsomer as you got older. Thank you. No, really. Like, you, your whole first part of your career was always these parts. You know, Quest for Fire and Beauty and the They did Beat. everything they could to cover it. <laughs> it worked for you. It I mean, look at the career me. you've had. But you actually grew into a, a nice... I would never guess that those were the roles looking at you now that you played early in your career. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking, uh, I think that's maybe Añejo tequila, perhaps, or... Well, whatever you want, we are, maybe it's already here, and here are some drinks that are already poured. Well, that's some water. We will figure it out. That's water. Yeah. Is this a drink? That's water as well. Okay. I can't get enough water. You gotta, here. You gotta hydrate. Drink. What are you, what are you, a communist? Have a drink. <laughs> there you go. And what do you want to mix it with? Nothing. Really? It's just like, Look just, at that. just perfect. Look at that. Put hair just, on your chest. Just the ice. By the way, I remember seeing Quest for Fire in the theater mm. in New York on uh, 54th Street of Ziegfeld. Yes. Which was a big room. Do you remember the my big... My favorite theater in the world was Seriously? Ziegfeld. Well, my two favorite theaters, <clears throat> it's hard to generalize like this because, you, you know, I mean, Radio City Music Hall is a pretty nice space. But not movies. They don't oh, show yeah, movies. I they, saw some amazing... They show movies at Radio City Music Hall? They, they, they used oh, to... Oh, I'm thinking of the... Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Right. Radio City is a good place to go see a movie. Um, but Cinerama Dome and in, in L.A. and then the Ziegfeld in New York were my two favorite places to go see movies. And uh, you, you just, you know, as luck would have it, that's the two theaters that Quest opened in. Oh, you remember that? You remember where it opened? I only remember the good shit, Bill. <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember it was 1981. Cheers, man. <clears throat> yes, great to see you. Great to I always see loved you. seeing you when I saw you after the show. You'd be at the after party at real time, and I was always very flattered that you were just wanted to be there. Like, more than I could tell you, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No, I, I, I had... It's, it was uh, fantastic to watch you live the night I came, the last time I came, Fernand Amandi was the journalist who you had on the show that night, and he invited me as a guest. And um, yeah. watching you uh, <laughs> zigzag your way through all of these different <laughs> mindsets was very acrobatic. Oh, thank you. I will say, although I'm sure it sounds immodest, the the we did it i mean we do it still within in real time i mean the show's called real time and we do it in real time for most of the 21 years it's been it was live i mean live live you know that it, it we shot it at seven o'clock where it aired out here mm. if you had the east coast feed um and it was 10 o'clock to the east 
Oh, I wasn't aware that that ever changed. I assumed it was... No, when the pandemic came, then we had to move to 4 o'clock. Oh, okay. <laughs> for, for, like, most of the things with the pandemic, no reason that ever saved one life. And you were doing it from from one of your rooms here, in the house, right? Right fucking here and in my backyard for six months. I mean, my God. Looking back, it just looks so stupid. But I don't want to get on that. Um, you were one of the things that got us through, pal. Thanks. I mean, but you know, every should, everybody was like, you know, turning tail and and oh, for and fuck's going sake. into a d- defensive crowd. Oh, I can't. And there you were. I can't stand. We got to see pieces of your wardrobe we never knew existed. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And my dogs were like bit players in my fucking television show. Now my dogs are like getting a credit. It was, the whole thing was just so stupid. Anyway, I do remember so vividly seeing that movie in that theater. I also saw Gandhi there when it opened. Uh, I was so blown away, Gandhi. I mean, the way he portrayed him and just the, the way he enveloped that character and the feelings of peace and love and harmony that radiated through the screen. But the guy next to me would not shut up. I had to slug him. Did you? No, I'm just kidding. Is it a left or a right? No, but but I saw Quest for Fire there, and it was such. I mean, it was. I'd never seen a movie like that. I don't think they've made a movie like that since. And I, I'm wondering if you. Hmm, here's a good question. <clears throat> Do you keep up with? Like, I'm super fascinated with prehistory. Mm. And 1981 to now is a long time, and they keep making discoveries mm. and. Like, in, I, I remember vividly saying on the screen when it came on, 80,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that is so awesome. They're gonna that do- is a great memory, a great thing to have remembered because very few well, people, that just escaped a lot of people. I mean, I know because of all the questions you get when the movie opens, like, when, when did that take place? It was right there, motherfucker. 80,000 B.C. And, of course, I think for a lot of people who don't have this silly hobby I have of uh, <laughs> studying pre history and following the latest discoveries of the archaeologists and shit, they can't place that. So let me place it for you. Homo sapiens, our species, is only 200,000 years old, which is pretty amazing. Now, humans, our last, our, our last common ancestor is 6 million years ago with the chimps. Then about 2.5 million years ago, we have Australopithecus. That's a human, like Lucy. Remember, they they called her Lucy, but four foot tall. Mm-hmm. Not that cute. No. <laughs> quite, quite frankly. Not like Desi's Lucy. Unless you're a vole. But uh, so that's a human, but not a homo sapien, of course. And they left Africa. Humans did about two million years ago. and But it wasn't until... Now, they say fire was uh, discovered in 300,000 B.C., so before Homo sapiens. And the connection Yuval Harari makes in his book is that that's not coincidence. When they came up with fire, they could cook food, which had formerly been filled with so many bacteria and parasites that the intestines had to be enormous. But cooking it, allowed the intestines to shrink and the energy went up to the brain. And that's why our brains got bigger. Oh, wow. Not that you'd know it by this campaign. <laughs> but so that's where I place you now. 
human fire 300,000 BC. So it's been around for a while in 80,000 BC, but they still can't make it, I guess. Oh, wait. No, that, I think that's what they were saying. That's so, the whole so, conceit of the film. So that's in the 40-something years since they made that film, that's what's changed. In, in, in your movie, 80,000 B.C. was when they were still trying to find how to make fire. They could capture it in the, in the lightning. You know, they captured it in that thing that the, <laughs> I call him the first schmuck, yeah. the guy who drops it in the stream. Yeah, yeah. They're carrying it. You know, they have it, but you have to keep it in a tabernacle. Right. And <laughs> it's the bald guy. <laughs> I love that they made it the bald it's guy. It's always the bald guy. It's <laughs> um, he's vaudevillian. Let's you know. Let's just face it. I mean, you know. But um, no. The whole uh, conceit of the film is that um, the ability to evolve was commensurate with the kind of climate you lived in yeah. by that point. So that there were certain areas right. that were very cold and, right. and, and, and people were just living in a tremendously defensive manner just to try to stay alive. And then there were certain more tropical climates where people were evolving faster because the obstacles were not, you know, yeah. stultifying. So the conceit of the film is our fire goes out. We live on the north of the Pyrenees and then these three warriors are sent to find fire, which is a commodity, not something that. It happens spontaneously in nature. Right. And we cross the Pyrenees and where it's much warmer. And, and lo and behold, there's Ray Dawn fucking Chung. Absolutely. Right? Naked. And so. Right. And she. That was. You talk about fire, baby. Right. <laughs> That's right. It was Ray Dawn Chung. And she <laughs> makes fire. It's the, it's this this thing. Yeah. It's the, you're rubbing your hands together, basically, with the right. stick in the middle. Right. And. Uh, you know, the fact that they hadn't figured that out yet and they needed her to tell us, I think is instructive. <laughs> that's everything you need to know. Humans, and I mean, I could, you know, be the champion feminist here and say, sure, the woman figured it out and the stupid man wouldn't ask for directions to fire. Well, and no, but I mean, in, in your defense, um, it wasn't her specifically, but it was the tribe that she lived among. Well, she shows the guy. Uh, she shows the guy, but then she takes the she takes him into this cave, to this in this rather sacred moment of the film, this very climactic moment right. of the film, and introduces him to the shaman who is responsible yeah. for oh, okay. keeping this keeping this thing going. And and so it's 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 a skill that's already being passed down from which she happens to be a part of. Um, but yeah. Uh, um, that was the theory uh, of when, when, when Jean-Jacques Arnaud, great filmmaker, right, who has... And he's French, obviously. He's French, and I've done four, four movies with him now. Is that right? Um, that was the first movie I ever made, and that was certainly the first um, collaboration with him. But he had made another movie called Black and White and Color, which won an Oscar for Best Foreign Film. Mm. And Jean-Jacques is as... Um, intellectually curious as anyone who I've ever met in the business. He, you know, he made Seven Years in Tibet later on. He made this movie oh. called The Bear. He made another movie about uh, these tigers in, in uh, I Cambodia. I remember The Bear. Called yeah. uh, Brothers. Um, he just has, he refuses to ever... He's still with us? He's still with us. He just yeah. made an incredibly beautiful 
rendition of the burning of Notre Dame, uh, which really? wow. never got American distribution, but that's a whole other What, story. a documentary about when... when it was, was not a documentary, although it, it, when you watch the movie, you think you're watching... Because Notre Dame really did burn a few yeah, years ago. He made him film about, about that. that, which was a, a, a fictionalized telling of a real event. But the way who he done, made it... Who done it? Who burned Notre Dame? Well, yeah, that's all in there. Interesting. And, and and he's got these guys who are real firemen playing in the movie, acting in the movie. I don't think they've ever acted before. But they're so invested in what he's asking them to do that they're giving phenomenal performances. And you actually think... So the, 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 the beauty of this film, which is indicative of Jean-Jacques' singular, non-commercial way of storytelling, is that you actually think He's making you think you're watching real footage of the fire hmm. when the fire was a year and a half earlier. Right. And he just recreated it, and he shot in about eight cathedrals all around Europe. Um, I saw this one you did. I can't remember the name, but I liked it a lot. You're in a, it's recent. It's a, Famke Jensen is your co-star. You're a, you're a hitman. And Richard Dreyfuss is in it. <laughs> I heard a wonderful... I saw some stills. Oh, of, of yes. a wonderful moment you had with oh, him right here in this chair. Moment. It went on for two hours. And, <laughs> oh, God, now everybody's going to do, be doing the Dreyfus. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he had had a rough day. Um, he was having a rough moment. He was he was ill or something. Two, he was not ill. <laughs> he was just very relaxed. I mean, there's no excuse for um, Well, to his credit, if you didn't see it and just listen to it, he was perfectly lucid. And... I mean, I'll, I'll always be a big Richard Dreyfuss fan, both, you know, uh, professionally and personally. I did, first thing we talked about, he did a uh, special on ABC. He was a big movie star at the time, so he could get a thing like that, this done in 1987 on the Constitution. It was the 200th anniversary of the Constitution. Right. And I was, for some reason, one of the young whippersnappers who was, like, on that show. And it was a big feather in my cap at the time. I was thrilled that movie star Richard Dreyfuss was, you know, putting me in something and I was going to be on TV and not just telling jokes, but like doing a little high brow sort of thing with a big star. So, I feel you know, the same way about him. He's, he's real American royalty and he's cinema royalty. And this little movie that you're referring to called Asher... Asher, right. Is um, something <clears throat> that I had a little production company of my own for about five years. <laughs> it was a lot of uh, uh, lessons learned and no small amount of comeuppances. But, mm. but um, it was a result of like, um, you know, you just, if you just pick really, really cool material, you can make hundreds of millions of dollars. And every movie that I made lost money. The, the, Hollywood is like a cat. I mean, it's just it, it, movie making. Like, they have declared it dead so many times. My theory was always it'll never die because it's something you can do on a date for two hours without talking, which is what everyone is looking for in life at a certain point in relationships. I remember when, I don't remember when, it was. I wasn't born yet, but I've seen the footage of when, like, Cinemascope or some, they, they, when TV came in, <clears throat> like in the early 50s, they were 
They thought it was over for movies. So they made movies in like this, <laughs> this way too big screen. Right, right. And movies of that era, when they come on our TVs, they have to sort of box them weirdly because they thought they could like win the audience back with size. Mm. Like TVs are small. So the other day I posted <clears throat> um, 1986, Billy Wilder won um, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Film Institute. As he should. Very big deal. And it's one of my favorite speeches. But he, he starts off the second half of the speech with, uh, I've been doing, I've been working in Hollywood for more than 50 years, which is also a half a century. <laughs> and I've watched Hollywood vacillate between despair and fear. Hmm. And it was such a, a witty thing to say that it took 30 seconds for the audience to realize, oh, that was a fucking great line. From it, from it, yeah. But, he, but then he went on to say, first it was sound that was going to kill us. Yes. Then it was the, and he goes through this whole litany of things. Now this is 1986. The cell phone hadn't been invented yet. He said the new thing that's going to kill us is the, the, chip. What does it call that? The microchip. The microchip. He said, whereby you. You know, you won't need theaters anymore. You won't need studios anymore. You'll be able to, a satellite will take an image and spread it over 5 million screens. And, and then he goes on to explain AI. And this is 1986. And he lays it all really? out. Really? Oh, I got to see this. Can you YouTube this? Um, yeah. yeah. You must. And I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll shoot it to you. Shoot it to me. But, um, Shoot it me, baby. All you, do, all you do is Google, you know, Billy Wilder's acceptance speech in right. AFI. But the, the, the point of it is, is that um, the, 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 his, the, the reason why I posted it is because the last line of the movie is, so my fellow picture makers, don't despair. They may have the kingdom, but we have the power and the glory. Hmm, wow. Which is one of my one of one of the greatest lines in a speech by that an artist can possibly it's give. It's biblical, right? It's from. It the seems Bible. like, but it's it's it, the power it, and the glory. Yes, that's from the Bible. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's it's, but it's so transcendent. Many, so many, many movie titles are East of Eden, right? Inherit the wind, right? Right. I'm sure there's a list of fifty, and I knew two, so I'm gonna. There you go. You're way ahead of the game. <laughs> I'm gonna get off this. I didn't know any. I'm gonna make believe that no, Sodom, but I, I, Sodom and Gomorrah. That was. Well, that, <laughs> yeah. I, Sound of Music? Sound, no, that didn't. I don't no. think that was from the Bible. When I had my uh, genealogy done by Skip Gates, you know that show, the Henry Louis Gates, the oh, Finding mm. Your Roots, the brilliant the I, Harvard uh, professor, Henry Louis Gates? I, 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 no. They, I, they, you should do it. I mean, they, they would be perfect. Well, I'm, I've been obsessed with doing something like a 23 and me or whatever they call them but they know. do all the research but, for but you. uh but this one sounds really well, you trippy. must have seen this it's on, it's on pbs since you know yeah this is the one to do okay so i did it and it's, they do like a i mean they do you on one day and then they have another one and they put two people together to make it more interesting episode and um they do the they've, they've uh, traced my heritage back to 1818 in Ireland. You know that they have the church records of the person. It's cool that you get yeah, that yeah. done, and they give you a booklet with all the clippings and the information. It's it's. I mean, you cannot get your geology done better for free, or they may pay you a stipend. But I, when they the star of my genealogy thing on the Skip Gates show 
was my grandfather, my Irish side grandfather, my father's father, who I never met. He died in 1940. Uh, but he was a major motherfucker. There's banner headlines in the New York Times from 1919, 1920. He was head of the boatsmen's unions. Ooh. He shut down New York Harbor. Yeah. It negotiated with the president. Maybe it was Woodrow Wilson, I think, himself. Wow. That's pretty big. Um, oh, that's cool. Oh, very cool. I'm kind of I, afraid I, of what they'll find. Why? Because, you know, the, the, the kind oh, of simian Neanderthals that I have, yeah. <laughs> we, but that's... The I only mean, reason I was in Quest for Fire, by the way, you thought it was for my no. acting, but no. Like, well, you're acting the with guy, me, too. But the guy was looking at my forehead, and he was so fascinated. But that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's funny, at your age now, that's all gone. I know what you mean. I mean, we all noticed it. I'm it a different mean, kind of animal. You are a different kind of a, yes, a Neanderthal. Um, but isn't that, to go back to Quest for Fire for a second, wasn't that also part of the plot was that Ray Don Chong's tribe, who were much more human-like, then evolved. interbreeded? Because we did interbreed. We Everybody has, not everybody, but people do have Neanderthal blood in them. Well, uh, the last image of the film is, you know, he's, 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 trying, to fuck her from, he's trying to fuck her from behind. And she turns them around, and they... they, they That's not the last frame of the film. I remember... I turned it off after that. That's all I knew. Okay, I, I can't watch my movies either. Uh, like, like where is it? <laughs> there are cannibal women in the avocado jungle of I death. I love that 1988. film. I, I know all the dialogue. But no, the last shot, excuse me. It's not the last shot. The last shot is she is pregnant, yeah, she's pregnant. looking at the moon. He's sit, she, she's sitting against his chest, yeah. and he's they're looking at the moon, and... Yeah, but about 30 minutes before I mean, the end, he goes to take her from behind. Okay. And she turns him around <laughs> well, so, and shows him so mi- apparently, missionary. Apparently that scene meant a lot more to you. That's the I, only reason I took the I movie. I feel like I'm... Uh, I said to myself, this is filmmaking. Right now, I'd like to give a shout out to all those people whose job it is to hire. From the small business owners growing their team to the HR directors hiring people across the nation, you have one of the toughest jobs there is. But what if I were to tell you that there's something that can make your whole hiring process faster and easier? It's ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash random. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds and sends you available great matches for your job. Once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Let ZipRecruiter help make your job easier. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash random. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-A-N-D-O-M. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Club Random is brought to you by the audio marketing gurus at Radioactive Media. Let me ask you, what are you doing to grow your business? Don't just use Google and social media when you can acquire new customers by partnering with shows like mine, elevating your brand. Wouldn't you like to generate up to nine times more leads? You can when you combine the power of audio and video with text messaging. Club Random has been partnering with Radioactive Media with clients such as SignalWire, Heat Holders, Wine Enthusiast, Lumi Micro Dose Gummies, and they can customize a campaign for you. 
For a limited time, receive $1,000 toward your first campaign, plus free text messaging by going to radioactivemedia.com or text the word RANDOM to 511-511. Discover how audio marketing can surpass your current strategies. Just go to radioactivemedia.com or text RANDOM to 511-511. Text RANDOM to 511-511 today. Terms, conditions, message, and data rates may apply. I have a theory, and that is that the, the, the genius, the artistry, is constant. It's always, always been there. Whose artistry? The actor? The artistry in general. Okay. People who are brilliant enough to, to paint like Picasso and like Rembrandt right. and stuff. People who are brilliant enough to, to write music like Chopin and, and Gershwin and stuff. Constant. When we invent the, the, the uh, new modality of storytelling, which was cinema back in the beginning of the 20th century, they came out of the woodwork, geniuses. Geniuses. I mean, if you look at the... Like Chaplin. Yeah. The only thing that changes is not the artistry. The artistry is constantly there. Right. And it's there to be tapped. A lot of it doesn't get tapped, but there's so much in reserve that is, you know, waiting to be tapped. The only thing that changed to me was the marketplace. So when, before there was cinema, you had playwriting that was mind-blowingly exquisite and, and literature, uh, you know, fiction writing, you know, great, great, you know, the Hemingways and the Fitzgeralds and the Faulkners. Novelists, yeah. And... And then movies come along, and you see those same guys writing for films. Some of them, yes. And then the studios started to falter in the 50s, and it was really hard to make a living as one of those guys. Right. So they started to move over to alternative sources of revenue. Sure. They went where the money was, so they went to television. Now, the reason why they're calling this the golden era of television is because... Little by little, the movie-going experience got fucked up, really fucked up, little by little. Um, You're talking about superhero movies and sequels and... That, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, the, I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about the difference between a, an amusement park and a movie theater was almost unrecognizable. Right. <laughs> that's great. Yes. That's, that's a perfect but way to put But these geniuses, these great writers still had phenomenal stories to tell. They would have been writing them if it was the 70s and you had right. Ryan De Palma oh. and Marty Scorsese and, and those dudes, motherfuckers, you know, doing their thing. They would have been writing for cinema because that's where the money was. But the money was no longer in cinema, so where do they go? Every and this is how you get FX becomes, uh, you know, a, right. a, a, a cable station and a mind-blowing content and, and all these cable stations start exploding to give these writers a place to go where they can write original mind-blowing shit, right. but also make a living. Right. Like, make a living. Raise their kids, put them through school. Are you of the school that you hear all the time that the 70s was kind of like the peak of movie, like the movies of the 70s? Lots of people are always... Maybe it's just something to say at a cocktail party, you know, like... But... I think there's great movies in every decade, of course, just like there's great music. But there is something about the 70s. Like, I was watching Three Days of the Condor recently. 
<laughs> what a fucking movie. Right. I mean, so fucking good. So fucking good. And they, they, they knew how to make something that was at, at, at once entertaining, but also serious. It had adult themes and it was about a real thing. But it wasn't just a downer, which is, you know, it wasn't like, oh, homeless lady shits in a bucket movie, which is like a lot of what they put out now. But we did a whole thing on it one night that they should call the Oscars the Downers or the Debbies <laughs> for Debbie Downer. And now here's your, <laughs> here's your MC, the sad emoji, because they just seem to uh, change the um, raison d'etre from um, we want you to enjoy yourselves and be entertained and think sometimes uh, to we want you to see how worthy we are. We want you to see, and this is my thing about, you know, once it gets to that place of lecturing, then you're leaving the realm of art. Yeah. Now you're in the realm of polemics, which has a place, but it's not what, it's not what art does. I mean, my feeling is that the, the golden age of cinema was the 30s and 40s. And then the 70s was uh, a tremendously kind of atypical, phenomenal period because you still had an infrastructure that would support the emergence of great new storytellers like Scorsese, like De Palma, like Coppola, like all the guys that came up in the 70s, like um, uh, the guy who did Five Easy Pieces. Uh, you know, with, oh, um, Jack Nicholson, yeah. Yeah, no, but the... No, I know. The, Hal Ashby? Well, Hal Ashby is one of them. Uh, I'll think of his name. But but uh, it, it was just one guy after another, but we still had an environment that would support them commercially. We still People yeah. were still going to the theater enough to justify giving... $15 million. But again, to, because they knew they could do, they could walk and chew gum at the same time. Spielberg, you know, I mean. But every era has shit and greatness. Every era has mostly shit. Most of everything is shit. Most music is shit. Most books are shit. Most movies are shit. Most TV is shit. Life is mostly shit. You know, I mean, you said there's all these geniuses. Can I get some and, more to drink because this is, yeah. oh, I, I really need this conversation. Like, like, why are uh, depressing you? No, not at all. I'm just joking. But but I did go through that tequila quite quickly. And I'm using my hand. Is that all right? Please do. We don't, we don't. Uh, we're brothers. We're brothers and we don't stand on ceremony. You're and a I club random. A piece of ice. Random is right in the title. <laughs> oh, my new Trader Vix lighter. I love it. I, here's to Trader Vic's coming back to LA. Here they sent me all this awesome shit. I love the lighter. That's uh, beautiful. Do I? I, uh, I put some of the shit. Oh yeah, there you go, Trader Vic since 1934. And I yes. hear, I hear from one of uh, the people I met coming when I came in here today that they're coming back to LA. Yes, they They'll are. Have a presence again. Did you spend some time at the one on Wilshire and Santa Monica in your day? Well, when I first got here in the mid '80s, we all did. It was one of my first stops because right. it's like you know, it's 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 like 77 Sunset Strip. Right. It's one of those places, <laughs> you know, you just got to hit. But also because you could get so drunk, the drinks were not like any other bar. I mean, it was a little kind of old schooly, which is also what was kind of cool about it. Booths. I mean, trust me, in the '80s, that was like a go-to to get laid kind of place. Because, like, one of those drinks, 
and you were both on your ass. We were always doing a Richard Dreyfus in those booths. We were always sliding around in the slush because they would bring out a fucking human skull, it looked like. It was that big, mm -hmm. ceramic, beautiful ceramics, mm -hmm. but it was a bowl of liquor. <laughs> it was a bowl of like eight different kinds of liquor, and of course the sugar amount that we took must have been just enough to make many diabetics, but mm. you know, you didn't do it all that often. But between the the uh, fruity stuff that they put in to mask the multiple liquors in there and the liquor itself, but yeah, and big long straws, and you would just be under the table after, you know, one, and if you had two of them. So uh, <laughs> unfortunately, those days in my life are long gone. Um, I can't Bill, drink like I that. Can you still? You uh, can't no, drink like I can't. That. I never could. I never could drink like that. But um, I can drink a little, not every night. But that's I mean, otherwise, you just you wind up looking like Ted Kennedy. Yeah. I, Jesus Christ! I'm going through. Um, yeah, the 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 thing about aging. I'm like north of seventy now. So right. The th that's it. yeah. That's it's, as good as you can do. But it's very, very hard when you have when you are confronted, not confronted, but smacked in the face with the fact that you can't do the things that were so de rigueur, that were so like. Of this course. is what we're doing tonight. We're going to go out. We're going to get five or six places. Exactly. And you know, and then you get to the point where you, you say to your, you know, you, you go to see your doctor and go, um, I, I have this this lower intestinal <laughs> discomfort and he said well did you do anything different last night than you usually do i said no no i just went out and had seven or eight drinks oh and if i had seven i could i could oh. i could i couldn't that was you, something you i could have done drinks? routinely but not now well now i'm finding out that my pancreas is is revolting as 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 mel brooks the yeah. the, the the way mel brooks used the term the people are revolting. Yeah, yeah. Of course they are. They stink on ice. <laughs> yeah, I know. But um, uh, well, that is. Uh, I mean, my hats off to you at that, that age to be able to to drink like. The that. point is, I can't. But, it's, but for but, you, Bill, but, yeah, but I'm you making an exception. Look at it's amazing because, like, whatever the trade-off was when they were um, when Jesus was making you in heaven, like it was worth it because, like, here you are at seventy-three. That is not the skin of a 73-year-old, especially one who drinks. And that's usually what goes on people, you know? I mean, you could definitely still play really any late middle age, you know, if the character's 59, that is not a problem. That's good, that's a good thing to, especially like, you know, you're a good heavy, you know? Like, I, that's why I like that Asher movie, because you were, but, you know, I mean, they, and we certainly have seen a zillion hitmen. I mean, talk about Hollywood and their lack of imagination. Like, can't they think of another way to say that a guy's morals are compromised? I mean, really, you could put a longer list than the names of the movies that come from the Bible to the li to the list of of people. What who, is it? What are we fascinated about, though? We really like people who take matters into their own hands. Yes, ah, that's interesting. I think that that's the fascination. I think that that's why we like The Godfather so much and all the, the gangster movies so much. And the Cagneys and the, the Bogarts, if you want to go all the way back to the origin story, we just like vigilantes. They, but they weren't... But now, Look at what Death Wish did. Now, this is... 
yes, vigilante. Okay, but that's a different category than assassin, hitman. There's been many, I mean, Stallone has played it. I I, I could name a lot of people, if we put our minds to it right now, who have played some version of a hitman. Remember the one, the French guy with, I think Natalie Portman is the kid in it? Yeah, Jean Reno. He's Uh, terrific. And it's always, you know, I am a hitman, but I have a code. But I have a heart of gold. Not a heart of gold, <laughs> but they definitely have a code. No women and children, and also uh, hermaphrodites. I will not kill her. I have a code. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever it is. And they, but, but I thought you guys brought, you whatever it was, the, it, was just, it was moody and cool. So, you know, the fact that that's what it was, I guess that had to be the, the spine of the, of the project. But, uh, well, the, t- the tightrope walk, if, if you're going to, you know, immerse yourself in a hitman movie, then you have to you're you've already signed on to like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna walk a fine line here and if I if I go to the left too much or the right too much right. I fall and and I kill myself right <laughs> but the, the, but but the tightrope walk is is that you have to make the audience believe that everybody you're killing has it coming right the world is better off with them dead well yes that's, that's but and that's that's where this thing comes in about you know this instant sort of justice that we're all longing for, right? I think we're all longing. Well, definitely that. Then there's an interesting way we see the psyche of America change by how we look at movies with villains who, uh, in the past, did not have to die. I'll give you an example. In the original Cape Fear, I love that movie. The original, yeah, and the Scorsese. Scorsese was was good, but the original was okay. Phenomenal. It's 1960, I think, the original. Yeah, probably, yeah. In 1960, he doesn't die at the end. The bad guy, the psycho, because in 1960, people still had faith in the justice system. So it was if a guy was saying to the bad guy, "Well, that's it. You'll be going away for a very long time, and you will get your just comeuppance in this just country of ours." And that's just what I have to say to you. It was all good. But by the time you got to 1992 or whatever that was, you ha- the person has to die. The person always has to die. We do not trust the justice system. If there's an evil seed, they... I mean, I was watching uh, Jennifer Lopez movie called The Boy Next Door, where she fucks the... She's, <laughs> she's like this hot, you know, 45-year-old woman and... She, a stretch. She boy. fucks a teenager next door, a teenager. He looks like he's 35, and he's playing 18. And he talks like someone who's 40. I mean, it's hysterical. But she, in a moment of weakness one night, fucks the boy next door, and then he's sprung on her, and he becomes a psycho. And he's going to ruin her life, <clears throat> and he tries. We've seen this pattern in many movies. It's amusing. And at the end, of course, he has to die. She has to kill him. He can't just keep being a psycho and be, we trust that the system will take care of you. And Because reform. he has it coming. Well, <laughs> he, definitely, he definitely has it coming. He had her coming that first night, and that's where all the trouble Short started. Short-lived. That's where the trouble started. He, unsustainable, as she, they say. She <laughs> gave it into it that one night. In the Republican Party. I think a better movie would have been if she just went with it, when she was like, oh... This is, that was a sequel. This is good dick. And, <laughs> uh, and he's next door. <laughs> right. But the problem is he had, he had befriended her teenage son as a kind of a... Oh, my God, no. <clears throat> bad, bad, bad move. Bad. 
hit, that's hitting below the belt. Well, you really have it coming you know, when you use the teenage son to get a little. You want to put J-Lo in a messy situation. And I saw another one she just did called Mother. It's fantastic. Did you see that on Netflix? That's brand new, right? It's pretty new. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one. Really yet, good. But I heard, I read amazing things about it. Yeah, she's like up in Alaska, and again, I think she's, <laughs> I think she's a hitman or some shit. Yeah, and that's she's definitely doing some badass stuff in the snow. Can I get back to something that please we, do? That we, we please kind do, of, um, Ron. Yeah, you hydrate a little bit there because I'll. I, I feel as though, um, you were onto something a minute ago where we talked about how there seemed to be an unstoppable, irresistible movement to keep everybody at home, which culminated with a pandemic, which was, you know, like nobody saw that coming, but everything was right. going in that way anyway, because right. Amazon was mm-hmm. delivering everything to your house and sure. movies were being delivered to your house. And, and you never had to really leave your house. You could even like, you know, have uh, put on some goggles and, and and have a sensation like you were walking in the park, you, you know, well, walking your dog virtually. I, I will never be one of those people. No, none I of us. I don't think you ever look cool with goggles on your head. But what, what I was saying was, is that it seemed as though when all of this was proliferating, that this was the new normal, that this was going to be the way it was. <clears throat> people were People were going to be consigned to doing everything at home, and there would be no more communal, um, right? Office, you know, a con- uh, what's, what's uh, yeah, like like the office. Like, there's no place where people gather communally. Yeah, there would be, you know, movie theaters were the synagogues and the churches. These were places where they were ritualistic in, in nature, but what you got out of them was real spiritual kind of nourishment and all of those things began to become devalued by the fact that you don't have to leave your house now you can stay home and get anything you want anything you want and we thought just have to and i even thought but then you know somehow it's like that little piece of grass that grows between the right in the concrete Yeah. yeah it just and somehow a movie does $180 million on a weekend, and you go, not so fast. They look at Oppenheimer. I think that the message from the audience is, do more of that. Work a little harder. I, I, but I, the idiots who run, who run the show are going, they're always behind the eight they're always two steps behind well you they're can't, always going oh wait now we got to okay. do this now okay well you can't blame them too much when avengers endgame just you know made 350 million dollars i mean there there's a reason why they make the movies they make they want to make money if, if people didn't go to these but a lot of those franchise ones are, are starting to peter out you know they're just you, you can only do it so many times right um, even for kids. And they're all the same from each other. Like, you know what my favorite um, superhero movie is? It's the one everyone thinks is garbage. Hellboy. No, Hellboy, yes. Well, that's uh, that's, a, that's its own special category, right? <laughs> yes, I agree. It really is. But that was a great thing that, that was well happened said. for you. 
You know? No, I'm kidding. I'm no, no, it's yeah, a big thing. I took a shot there. No, it's great to have a tentpole franchise thing like that. Plus, it's a what was great about it, now that I've taken this conversation, shoved it back my way, which is... Please do. You better watch out, because I do that. But it was a, basically a, a superhero movie about a slob yes, who wanted to stay absolutely. home and eat pizza and no, watch I've The Three seen Stooges. It. It's fun. So it's an underachiever uh, superhero movie, which, you know, has... Gives it a second layer. But anyway, enough about me. No, no, it's, I love Hellboy, so you don't have to apologize for that. I was just going to say the one I like that everyone hates is Catwoman. Uh, uh. For some reason, Spider-Man is genius and Catwoman is horrible. And to me, it's always the same movie. The origin story of how they got to be where they are. And it's like, I, I mean, AI looks at that and goes, oh, please. It'll take me one second to come out with the next one. For, I, I mean, they don't even need AI. It's they just feed in the last one. And uh, Catwoman. What is the opposite of artificial intelligence? Um, uh, Real intelligence. Non-intelligence. Well, yeah, that's what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, it was just zero intelligence. At least in the Catwoman, I could look at Halle Berry, but. You know, I mean, it is amazing how much they will... Liam Neeson has done like three... I'm not talking about Taken, which is... I mean, the first one was great. The first Taken is, is great. Um, then, of course, it gets like, oh, Taken again. All these kind of movies where something crazy happens to somebody and the movie's such a big hit, they're like, well, I guess it's going to have to happen to Bruce Willis again in Die Hard 4... I think they should make Titanic 2 where she goes on another ship and it hits another iceberg. Call it Titanic 2. Is it me? <laughs> but you know what I mean? They just, they, they paint themselves into this corner. But Liam Neeson has done this other thing where he did a movie where he was on a train and somebody's like blackmailing him to take over the train or else I'll kill your mom or something. And then they did the same movie on a plane. It's almost the exact same script, mm. but now we're on a plane. I'm like, my hat's off to you, Liam. That well, takes big disclosure. Irish balls. You know, it's, it's, it goes back to William Goldman, who said about Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Oh, yes. Right. So... That's an amazing book, the William Goldman. Amazing. It's called Adventures. Hollywood something. Adventures in the Screen Trade? Yeah, Isn't that the exactly. name of it? I mean, it is such a hand, handy guide to, if you ever wonder about anything that's happened in show business, he will make sense of it for you. Like, I love the part where he says, uh, people think it's a, a mystery, like how we get uh, big movie stars to, you know, like, pick our script. Write them their first scene where they where you first see them. Write them a big fucking speech where they look like a hero, and they'll do your movie. Write them, make them look cool. Put that on the paper, yeah. and it's so true. Mm. Everyone, every star, just about wants to just in baseball they would say stay in the show. But the interesting thing about a guy like William Goldman is, you know, you 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 you, you can't assign more hits with 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 a person than you know he was associated with, and yet he writes a book, which the first sentence is, "Here's the thing about Hollywood: nobody knows anything." Yeah, um, I think he's talking more about the 
studio heads and what's going to be a hit or not. But as far as like, how do you actually have a, a good script? And he's like Butch Cassidy, right? And uh, I mean, I can't, The Sting, is that William? Yes. yes. I mean, yes, I can't remember all of them. But yes, he had a, an amazing run. But And The Princess Bride. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, but here's the thing, as you know better than I do, about movies is anything can fuck up a movie. It's You have to be lucky. There's so many elements. And if any one of them doesn't work, it's probably not going to work. Yeah. I'm sure when everybody, I mean, when I was making <laughs> brilliant movies like Cannibal Women, I remember every day they come back from the dailies and it's just the greatest fucking thing anyone's ever seen. I mean, celluloid, should, this should be sent directly in the time capsule. Smithsonian. I smell Smithsonian. Yeah. And this is like, they all think when they're making it, and then I guess they get in the room with the editors and they put it together, and then suddenly it's like, oh. I mean, and you see so many movies from very talented directors that suck. They just miss. Yeah, no, I've never been, I've never I've been working on a movie where all along the way you say, um, did you see the dailies? Oh. Right. Oh. Like, I know. My God. I know. And then you go see the ca- you get invited to the casting <laughs> right. crew screening and you right. watch the movie and you're like Right. And you go, What well, happened to all those great dailies? Right. They, they never made it to the screen. But, but it's, yeah. it's all just everybody's blowing smoke up everybody's ass. Right. And, and, but the uh, thing is, like And it, you're right, it, 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 the the odds are so against something good taking place because Four hundred pair of hands touch this product. Right. Before it exactly. Comes out. You have to. Yeah. I gotta pee. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I was. Uh, I, I can't but, remember the name of the fellow in the white t-shirt who who welcomed me here. But Chris. The minute I got here, because I drove from Pasadena and I'm oh, seventy three, really? and the minute I got here, I said, "I need a bathroom so bad," and that's only a forty minute drive. I mean, you know, come on. It's uh, I understand, aging pal. is not for the uh, well. Petty Davis said it's not for sissies. It's so not for sissies. It's really not. But I'm so glad. We but got the you. only the only thing um, that aging is good for, which you've always been good at, uh, but you're better at now, is that you just don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Yeah, and you're wiser. Club. All right, man. Thanks, brother. This was really so much fun. I'm Thank so you. glad I'm we did this. I'm going to get up this. slowly because that's the only yeah. way I, where I, oh. I know how. Well, you know, Dreyfus has the record, so you're never going <laughs> to... You don't have to worry about this the This is a very comfortable chair, but it's kind of low. Know.